Well, grab a Bible if you have one nearby. We're going to transition into our message, and I want to encourage you to open the Bible to Mark chapter 4. Now, let me pause and say this. Uh, Kids, stay in the room, because I've got something just for you this morning. Or parents, if your kids are in another room doing something else, you might want to go grab them. There's a little video that I want to show that's going to engage all of us in the story this morning from Luke chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And for the last couple of weeks, we've just been in this little mini sermon series called A Greater Story, where each week we've gone back to the big story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. And we've been looking at individual stories in the scripture where men and women entered into a time of difficulty, entered into a time of uncertainty, and they were forced to put their eyes, not on their own circumstances, but on the greater story that was happening all around them. And it's as if God is saying to all of us in these kinds of times, open your eyes to where I'm at work. There is a greater story. Now, the particular story that we're going to look at this morning from Mark chapter 4 is one of my favorites in all of the gospel accounts. And we thought we would start by showing you a, a video clip Uh, from an animated version of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Let me say just a word about that. Many of you have that resource. If you don't, it is uh, honestly the best children's Bible that I know of. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones has rewritten the stories in the Bible in such a way that all of them clearly point to Jesus. And she's written them for the, the little ears to hear but for the older ears to hear in a new and fresh way. And uh, this is from that resource. Uh, You'll hear it narrated by David Suchet. And uh, we want you to listen to this story, The Captain of the Storm. The sun was going down. The air was warm and still. Let's go across the lake, Jesus said to his friends. Jesus had been helping people all day, and now he was tired. So they left the crowds at the shore and set out in a small fishing boat. Jesus climbed into the boat to take a nap. As soon as his head touched the pillow, he fell fast asleep. It was a beautiful evening. A gentle breeze rustled the sails. The friends were chatting happily as they headed out into the middle of the lake. Everything was perfect just right for a nice, quiet sail. They were only about halfway across when, out of nowhere, whirling winds swept across the lake, fierce and strong like a hurricane. A blinding flash of lightning lit up the sky, thunder roared right overhead, the storm blew the water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, up, up and then sent it hurtling, crashing back down, down, down. The fishing boat was blown and buffeted and tossed and turned back and forth, up and down, left and right, round and round. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Now, Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives, but in all their years fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't control their boat. This storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help! they screamed. Wake up! Quick, Jesus! Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us! Save us! they shrieked. Don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. And this was the very reason he had come, to rescue them and to save them. 
Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. Well, they had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped, the water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared? he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves, and into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? they asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't understand. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus' friends had been so afraid they had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of, no matter how small their boat or how big the storm. What a great story. Beautifully told. As I was watching it, literally in the last few minutes, I was thinking about what it would have been like to be one of those disciples, one of those fishermen having been on that body of water all their lives and suddenly everything's out of control for them, literally fearing for their lives. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of context about why they were so afraid. It, it's even deeper than the fact that there was a life-threatening storm there. And it goes back to how ancient people viewed the sea how ancient people viewed the ocean. They didn't think of it like us. We tend to think of the sea as a place of, of entertainment or relaxation. We go to the beach. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of fear necessarily, but ancient people were afraid of the ocean. We see this in scripture through the Old and New Testaments. We see that in non-biblical literature that comes from the same time periods. It was just a universal fear of the water, of the ocean. Now, if you think about that, it, it kind of makes sense. The, the water, the, the deep water is, is scary because you can't see it. It's mysterious. It's unpredictable. Think about all the stories we have uh, from our own history and from cultures from thousands of years of sea monsters and mysterious things and creatures that emerge from the deep. Even today, sailors are notoriously superstitious. Now, from an ancient perspective, the sea was the place where the monsters came from. The sea was a place of chaos. The sea is a place of fear both literally and symbolically. And so when these Jewish fishermen 2,000 years ago were on this boat with Jesus, they had a very healthy respect, even a fear for the sea that they were on, even though they were uh, experienced fishermen. Now, into the cultural mindset of fear the ocean, fear the deep waters, God had consistently told his people in the Old Testament scriptures, he's in charge of the water. He's the one that can separate 
chaos of the water from the, the order of the dry land. And I want you to think for just a minute about all the stories from the Old Testament that demonstrate God's authority over the ocean, God's authority over the waters. There's a number of them. I'm going to walk through some of them with you just for a few moments, and we'll put this on the screen. Here's some stories of God's authority over the sea. The first one is right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the creation account. Listen to the first two verses of our Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's referring to waters, the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then what happens in the rest of the creation account, the six days of creation, God separates the waters. He creates order out of chaos. He takes the water over here. He puts the dry land over here. God is overcoming the chaos and the mystery and the fear of the deep waters. Let's talk about another story. Uh, Noah's Ark, um, not that much further along in Genesis. Great rains come, great waters come, destructive waters, fearful waters, and yet God, through his sovereign provision, provides safety for a family, for Noah and his family in that ark. Uh, think about Moses. He started his life being delivered from the waters. Uh, the Nile River was not like the Harpeth. <laughs> a massive body of water, deep, strong currents, unpredictable. Yet Moses was kept safe in that little basket. And then later on in his life, Moses led the Israelites through another body of water, the Red Sea, as God miraculously parted that sea and created dry land. So he took the fear and the chaos and pushed it to the side and led his people across the dry land. And then about 40 years later, that same miracle is repeated. This time, the Jordan River that God parted for them and they walked across literally into the promised land. Think of all the symbolism and all these stories of God overcoming the water. One more I want to point out, Jonah. You know, Jonah was as good as dead. And, and yet God chose to preserve him, to save him and contain him in the belly of this great fish. And then the fish spit him back up into safety, into dry land. So what's the point of all this? The point is God's constantly throughout the scripture overpowering the sea, overpowering the waters, rescuing his people from the chaos and the fear of the deep waters. I want to read to you Isaiah 43, 1-2. to This is maybe a summary of what God says uh, is true about his power over the sea. Fear not, God is saying to his people, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Now, you may have heard that before and just thought, okay, next time I'm, I'm uh, you know, on a cruise or something, I'll keep that in mind. Oh, no, no, Th this was so meaningful. This was so symbolic. God is saying all the scary places, all the fearful places, all the chaotic places, when you pass through those places, I am with you and I will deliver you. They shall not overwhelm you. Now, with that in mind, we move now to the New Testament and Mark chapter four and that story that we just saw so beautifully told to us. And I want now to look at the text and I'll read a verse or two at a time and just make a few comments and then there'll be a few lessons here at the end. Let's jump right in. We'll look at Mark four beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. 
and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Jesus is exhausted. Uh, what, what you don't know just from starting in verse 35 is uh, the, the context is the longest day of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he, he'd been up early. He'd been praying. He'd been teaching. He'd been healing. He'd been actually teaching from that very boat, which is what it says. They, they took him just as he was. And he says, let's go to the cross uh, the other side. It's in the evening. He's exhausted. He's worn out and he falls asleep. Now, it's amazing that he's sleeping in this storm, right? What a picture of peace, Jesus is embodying this posture of trust, isn't he? He is sleeping in a boat, even in the middle of a storm. Let's, let's finish out verse 38. They woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? What a, uh, an interesting question. Uh, in fact, we're gonna come to four questions in this text, and I wanna encourage you, if you have a pen or pencil in your Bible open, to underline each question. Uh, this is the first question, and it's the, the question that the disciples ask their teacher, their, their master. Do you not care? I was thinking about this question a lot this week because I thought, this question is where we all go in a time of crisis. Like when, 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 when waves are smooth, we're not asking this question, God, do you care about me? But, but as soon as the waves start coming on the side of the boat a little bit and the wind picks up, it, it's, it's God, do you see me? It's like, are you here? Are you sleeping? Do you not care that I'm perishing? Some of you have been asking that question and, and I just wanna say that's an honest question to ask in a time of crisis. And I hope you see yourself a bit even in this story. Let, let's see how Jesus responds. Uh, in verse 39, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And notice that Jesus did two things. I'm gonna circle the verbs here. Uh, both of them using his voice, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea. Now, why is this important? This is creation language. This is creator God using his voice to calm the chaos and separate the chaos from the order. And I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones, when, when she wrote the, this part of the Jesus Storybook Bible, she picked up on that. And if you were listening closely, it said that the wind and the waves recognized the voice. It was the same voice that had spoken to them in the beginning. So Jesus is using his voice. That's all it took for him to calm the wind, calm the sea. And then we get to verse 40. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Now he's asking a question, so let's underline that as well. Why are you so afraid? And then a second question right after it. Have you still no faith? Now I wrestled with this one because um, honestly, at first I thought, is this, is this really fair that Jesus would say this? I mean, what do you mean, why am I so afraid? It's, it's like, this is a terrible storm. The water's already coming over. There's no chance we're gonna have you survive. You've been sleeping. You haven't even cared about us. What do you mean, why are we afraid? What do you mean, do we still have no faith? Jesus was intentionally challenging them. And, and he was doing it in a way, I think, with, with, with tons of love. Everything Jesus said and did was, was with tons of love. But here was he, here's what he was saying. He was saying, if you know who's with you, 
if you know who I am, that I am the God of power, that I am the God of love, that I am your provider, that I am in control, if you know who I am, would you still fear? Where is your faith? Where is your faith in me? Jesus is asking them. Now, what happens next is very interesting and, and very human. <laughs> I, I, lo I love the way the scripture is just real, courageously real. Here's what happens next. And they were filled with great fear. So now they've shifted their fear from the storm to the, the, the man in the boat with them. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's underline this final question. I think this question is the point of the passage, point of the story. Who is this? This one who has control and power over the very wind, over the sea, over the waters, over the chaos, over the evil? Who is this that has power and control over this? Now, think about this from their perspective. They knew all the Old Testament stories of, of Yahweh creator God delivering his people from the water over and over and over and over again. They knew who it was that had the authority. They knew the answer to this question. Who is this? Yahweh. Only God. It has to be God with them in the boat. And yet you can just see their minds kind of exploding. It's like they, they knew Jesus was special. They knew he was important. They knew he did miracles. They, they might have even figured at this point that, that he's Messiah. But, but God himself, right here in the boat, talking to us, eating with us, putting his arm around us, how is this? And it caused in them a great fear Let me move to some lessons for us as we think through this remarkable story. There are three lessons, and what we like to say around here at Fellowship is, is so what? In other words, what does this mean? What's the application? What's the meaning for me today? And, and I'd say particular to this pandemic right now, spring 2020, what does this mean for us? Three lessons that I want to highlight. The, the first is, is this. God's great power and great love will not always keep us from great difficulty. Jesus allowed his closest friends to come perilously close to death. What makes us think that some difficulty might not be a part of God's good and loving plan for us? Here we are in the middle of this pandemic, our boat, so to speak, in, in uh, right now in this moment in history. And, and can we just say, though, the waves and the wind have, have shifted in the last month or two, have they not? They're, they're getting kind of real. The water's starting to lap over the sides of the boat in, in some ways. There's a wave called health concerns. And for some of you, that's staring you right in the face. You're afraid. Maybe you're, you're already feeling well. Maybe you've got some symptoms that you don't even, you're afraid to even get tested. There's a wave called job security that I know has hit a lot of you and, and income and, and being unemployed suddenly or underemployed suddenly. And what's going to happen? And, and is this government bailout going to be what I need and helpful? And what's six months, a year going to look like? 
There's another wave called our economy at large. We can kind of see the writing on the wall and some things. And boy, even once the health crisis dies down, how long is it going to take our economy to recover? That's a wave that's splashing over the sides. There's another wave called lost opportunity for all of us, man. We, how many things were we looking forward to that we're not able to enjoy now and in, in right now in the coming weeks and months and trips canceled and all kinds of lost opportunity? There's another wave called sanity, you know, Luke mentioned at the top of the service going a little bit stir crazy. I, I bet a lot of us can identify with that. We're kind of stuck in our homes. We're crazy. How about our sanity? There's a wave right there. And for, for some of us, that not only have the waves started coming over the sides of the boat, you might even feel like you're, the boat's starting to sink and you are afraid. And, and even if you're not afraid, trust me, there are people around you, close to you, that are afraid. Here's what we need to remember. From the perspective of the disciples, Jesus might have been asleep, but he was never out of control. Not even for a moment. Jesus' eyes might have been closed, but he was always in power over that storm. That storm was not going to go one second longer than he ordained for it to go. They didn't have to rouse him. They didn't have to wake him up. He was in control all along. Now, I don't know what God's plan is for us, I honestly don't. For our church, for, for, for me and my family, for you and your family, I, I can't tell you that. I, I don't know how long this is going to last. None of us do. I don't know when we'll be able to get back together again. I don't know when your job will pick back up. I don't know when your circumstances will change. I have absolutely no idea. And can I just say, we normally don't know God's plan for us, but here's what we do know. It's good Rob, how can you say that? All the stuff around us is not good. Yes, that's right. We're in a broken creation. And that's why we keep coming back to the story. Creation, fall, redemption. We're right here in the fall and redemption is starting to be, you know, birthed through the, the kingdom in Jesus Christ. And yet there's brokenness all around us. But you know what is good? God is good. Our provider is good. The end of the story is good. And as Romans 8.28 reminds us, he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you better believe that included the disciples. You better believe that includes you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that includes you. God's great power and great love will not always keep us from great difficulty, but we worship a good God. That takes us to our second lesson. God has total power over anything you could possibly fear. This is why I wanted to spend some time talking about how the, the people of the, the scripture feared the sea, the ancient people feared the sea. I wanted to talk about that because here's the lesson of Mark chapter four, this story. If God controls the sea, there's nothing he can't control. If God controls and has authority over the place of, of, of fear in the place of chaos, there is nothing in your life that could possibly come that he does not have authority over. No pandemic, no economic collapse, no uncertain future. Nothing is outside of his control. The question for all of us is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? So that's where this question the disciples asked is so good and so real. Jesus, do you not care that I'm perishing? If you've not asked God that question, if you're really struggling right now in this season and in, in, in the water's over your boat, you feel like you're drowning and you've not looked Jesus you know, square in the eyes, <laughs> so to speak, and said, Jesus, do you not care that I'm perishing? If you've not allowed him to answer that question for you, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, ask him the question. Do you care? Do you care? The disciples had to come to grips with the fact that their master was the sovereign Lord of the universe, 
that's no small thing to believe. And that's what God is calling us to believe as well. He has total power over anything you could possibly fear. Uh, last thing I'll say on this lesson, um, one of the benefits for this time for all of us that I hope is that we'll quit playing church. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that with, with a disrespect or a lack of love at all, but, but listen, we've been talking for months here that Jesus is the center of all things. That's the point of Colossians. And now we come into a season where if he's not the center of this, then what's next? If he's not the center of this, there's reason to fear. But men and women, if Jesus is the center of all things, let's go. Let's do this. Let, let, let's, let's build our lives around him. Let's take this mission to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. Let's blow it out to our community and the country and the world. You know why? Because if he's the center of all things, which we believe he is, not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. That's what's true. One more lesson that I want us to get to. Number three, the storms around your boat are inconsequential if God is with you in the boat. Guys, there's been a lot of stories of boats and ships that have, that have encountered a, a big storm. Why was this one unique in all of history? Because God himself was on the boat. Yahweh, creator God, sovereign of the entire universe, was there. And, and so you see how this story relates to us. Jesus came so that he would be with us, so God would be with us. Jesus, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. The whole point of his coming is so that he would be with us, and he indwells us now by the Spirit. You see, Jesus is in your boat. The Son of God, through his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, indwells you wherever you are, in your home, afraid, wherever you are, around the world right now listening, Jesus is with you. Now, I want to take you down this quick thought experiment. If the disciples had completely understood who they had with them in their boat, would they have had anything to fear? Now, I'm not saying it would not have still been a scary, crazy adventure. I'm not saying that the waves and wind wouldn't have still got their heart beaten really fast and they, they, they might have even tossed their lunch overboard, you know, so to speak. But they would have had nothing to fear. And, and, and here's why. Because even death has no power over Jesus Christ. Believing God is with you transforms everything. It changes everything. It, it'll take your fear and form it into faith. What before was a terrifying experience of how am I going to survive this now can become a very interesting adventure. Believing God is with you transforms everything. It changes everything, and that's the point. That's why Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to close our service this morning um, with our worship team back up on stage with me, and, and they're going to offer a gift to us this morning. Luke Brown, who has been leading our worship, uh, has written a song called Even Then, We've sung it before. 
but the words maybe have never had such significant meaning until this particular season. This is the kind of song that we need right now. And so our team is going to sing this to you. You'll, you'll see the words on the screen. Uh, if you're at a place now where you want to sing along, sing, sing loud. If you're at a place where you just need to, to sit and, and, and watch and listen and let these words wash over you, that's great. Allow that to happen wherever you are. Remember, he is with you even then, even now.
take my final breath And your peace is full in me Oh, how faithful you have been Even then, even then Here's how I'd like to send us out. I want to take us to the very, very end of the story. Revelation 21 describes the new creation that is to come. And I want to point out a detail that you might not have seen before. Verse 1, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Why would there be no more sea? Because all the chaos is gone. All the fear is gone. All the places of uncertainty, all the sickness, all the illness, all the chaos of the sea will be gone, finally and permanently. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away." Church, do you want to know where this is all going? There. It's all going there. And that's where we're going too. So have hope. Take heart. God bless you. And have a good week.